The 3CR Gardening Show is coming to you today from the Woi Wurrung Nation. We acknowledge the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners of this land. We recognise the practices of care and cultivation of the land and waters by the First Peoples and pay our respects to their elders past and present. Wherever you are and wherever you garden, we encourage you to know whose land you're on. Welcome to the 3CR Gardening Show for this glorious autumn morning. I am Chloe Foster and with me this morning is Stephen Ryan from Dixonia Rare Plants good and morning, Walking Encyclopedia, may <laughs> I add. Yeah, I'm YouTube person and, you know, oh, I'm just juggernaut. everywhere. Yes. <laughs> and Chloe Thompson, another juggernaut in the horticultural oh. industry and the gardener of many hats. Welcome to you both. <laughs> Thank you. Chloe. What a sunrise this morning. Did you see the sun coming mm. over the Dandenong Rangers? No, I was driving the wrong direction. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes. I was coming the right way. Um, in fact, sometimes when I come down to 3CR, the sun's just at the wrong point. And you're driving into that sunshine, uh, going down the colder, and it is not a pleasant thing to do. But anyhow, it was lovely this morning because it, it was, was beautiful. a bit off to the side. So. Yeah. I didn't see any balloons this morning, though. I didn't either. That's unusual we do at this time yeah, of year. Yeah, mm. yeah. I, I saw them yesterday morning because I had to come down and do ABC radio in South Bank yesterday morning, um, and there were balloons up. So I saw them yesterday, but I didn't see any this morning. Mm. Unless I was, of course, driving down in a somewhat dazed state. <laughs> which is always possible. Why were you in a dazed state? Oh, I don't know. It's just been it's been busy and I was out to dinner last night, which is never a good idea if you're going to be coming into the studio the next morning. Uh, I seem to have social events whenever I have to come into the studio. Yeah, and day. that means you don't get to bed as early as you probably should so that you wake up feeling vaguely refreshed in the morning. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so, yes, I was out to dinner in a, at a lovely uh, Japanese restaurant in Woodend last night that I've been wanting you get to for ages so mm, a lovely, lovely meal yes How lovely. lots of raw fish and things yeah chloe you've got a busy week coming up oh. i have yes. plant people have a busy week coming up but yours is going to be a little bit nuts it is a little <laughs> bit nuts but i'm off to the melbourne international mm. flowering garden show all week yeah actually start on tuesday yeah. so i'm going to head in and do some behind the scenes filming chat to the garden designers um, and put all those videos up on socials so people can check those out. And then mm-hmm. Wednesday through to Sunday, I'm 
the MC on the main stage inside the Royal Exhibition Building. All day. All day. Every day. Every day. Yeah, that's a big ask. It is a big ask. Yeah. You do it so well. Last oh, year it was was fantastic. It's honestly so much fun. It and is. I, I think I say it all the time. Plant people are the best people, they're the funnest yeah. people. And you know, you just you walk around with a great big Cheshire grin face yeah. all day. And yeah. it's really fun. But it's exhausting. Yeah. <laughs> Plant people are the best and the people that I've worked with in my different workplaces over the years, you come into the lunchroom and you talk about plants and yes. it's really fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure those people out there, and I know they exist, who have nothing whatsoever to do with plants and green things at all, find this whole convers- would find this whole conversation really weird. They're probably not yeah. listening to us this probably morning, I know, I know, but nonetheless, safe space, right? they don't get it. It's like people yeah. who love their animals and you know they can talk about them all day long and people who are not animal people don't get that either so um but i like i like both but uh, i'm particularly fond of plants because they don't run away from me and i don't have to do anything sort of particularly physical other than water them and they just sit there and listen to you yeah that's right exactly yes i can whinge away to my plants (laughs) they're they're very attentive it's it's the shared values and uh, you know people who are animal people in in i don't know vet surgeries or whatever you know those shared values when you know, there's a co- for me when there's a compost bin in a workplace lunchroom, that gets me a little bit excited. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can tell a real plants person by the conversation over dinner when it turns to what the constituents of your compost bin are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what do you put in your compost bin? And I can tell them a lot of stuff, and it generally turns people off their dessert. Um, <laughs> but there you go. <laughs> Oh well, we might we might as well open up the phones. We do yeah. have a question to ask listeners because we we're talking about oh, it as the, yeah. our theme music was running. Yeah. We know it's a well known piece of music, and we've we forgotten, use, but we can't remember the name. Yeah. If you do know, can you text us or call us and remind us? Yes, kindly yeah. remind us. Yes, please. because it's one of those earworm things that we've all got in our heads yeah. now. So we really need to remember yeah. what it's called. And I was told years ago, but I can't remember now. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. I've been told as well, but I've... It's, yeah. It's, yeah, all right. So a listener's <laughs> got to tell us what our theme music yeah. actually so is. 94190155, if you want to call us and ask any gardening question that you have, or 0488809855, if you want to text us, please join us this morning. I have Stephen Ryan and Chloe Thompson in the studio with me. We've got a lot of plants. Let's just get stuck into <laughs> yes, the plants because we, we, we all do. bought stuff in. Yeah, yeah. So we've, we've got more than enough to keep us entertained even if people don't ring in. Yeah. <laughs> Potentially. Yeah. Um, but it's always lovely to have interesting plants that you can talk about. And as autumn comes in, that's something that dawned on me the other day and that's why I bought in the palette of things I've got this morning. As autumn comes in, we tend to rely on autumn leaves and berries and, you know, all that sort of autumnal sort of fruitfulness sort of thing. But there's plenty of things that are actually freshly in flower when you mm. head into autumn as well. And, they, you know, there's the obvious things like a lot of the salvias and, you know, your, your autumn rose crop and there's, you know, there's lots of things that flower. But there's also some really interesting plants that flower at this time of the year that aren't sort of classically of the season uh, or don't seem to be, uh, which I find them all the more interesting because of that and I think the prime example I brought along this morning is this plant that if its leaves are a slightly different shape you'd think you're looking at apple blossom or something it's it flowers 
high autumn. Um, it's a mass of little white flowers. The insects adore it. Um, on a sunny day, it'll be rattling with bees and hoverflies mm. and what have you. Uh, and it's just got these gorgeous little white blossoms all over it. It's an evergreen, so it's not like an apple tree in that it's deciduous. Uh, and it's a New Zealand native plant um, called Hoheria. Uh, commonly known over there as lace barks uh, because if you strip the bark, it has this sort of lacy pattern inside the bark. Is the pattern made by an insect or is No, it no, the this bark? is a natural sort of way oh. the bark is formed. Okay. Um, and, in fact, it's quite strong, the bark on a lace bark, and sometimes I find it sort of clogs up my shredder if I'm putting some bits through it that I, <laughs> without thinking, because it's uh, you actually can't pluck it off the tree easily without ripping bark because it's like shoelaces. It's really Ooh. quite strong. Um, and it's a great little tree. I mean, it's sort of overall sort of conical in shape, mm. so it's not too broad spreading. So it could be something you could use along a boundary line or something like that so that you're not necessarily annoying the neighbours with your limbs going over their mm. veggie garden or whatever. Mm. Uh, it's quick growing. Um, the underside of the leaf has a lovely sort of burgundy staining to it. I was just it, about so, to say that. Yeah. That's a really pretty It is. It's, it's really like nice. And so once veins. it gets up tall enough yeah. uh, and you're looking up through the tree, mm. then you get this effect of white flowers and the purple reverses to the leaf, which I find quite appealing. Really pretty. What's uh, the height? Sorry. Oh, look, it would top itself out at around about five metres. Okay. So it's it's a you know moderate sort of tree. It's not a vast big tree, but it's not a tiny thing either. Um, and it would probably be three, three and a half metres wide. Um, and as it gets going, I mean, it, its growth is very vertical when it's young, but when it gets going, its side branches become semi-pendulous. So you get this quite nice sort of oh. droopy effect to the tree. Um, so it's very elegant. Um, and it, if it has any fault at all, it's not 100% drought tolerant and it really doesn't like 45 degrees in a howling northwesterly, but yeah. then none of us do. <laughs> um, you know, being a New Zealand native plant, it's not quite quite used to really strong Australian summer. Um, but, you know, with a little bit of watering, you can always get it through. Um, and it very quickly tells you if it's getting too dry because it'll start shedding a few leaves through the centre of the tree and you oh, better get the hose out and give it a bit of a drink. Um, but, yeah, so this is Hoheria sextilosa. It's a little tiny genus of about five species, I think. How do you spell Hoheria? H-O-H-H. H. H-O-H-E-R-I-A. Hoheria. H-O-H-E-R. I'm writing it down. I-A. Well, that's fine. You you can do that, Chloe. Yes. so, and there's one deciduous species, and New Zealand's a bit like Australia. They have very few deciduous plants. So there's one deciduous one, Hoheria lyellii, which is a much smaller tree and quite hard to get and quite hard to keep because it's from damp mountainsides mm. really um, uh, but the others are all evergreen and they all have a somewhat similar leaf shape some are bigger some are smaller uh, and they're all, all autumnal flowering so Beautiful. I think I think Hohiri is an underutilised plant there was one lurk, or two lurking around variegated forms of Hohiria papulnia one with a silver edge around the leaf and one with a gold centre they seem to have disappeared out of cultivation For maybe a Appropriately. For good reason. I have to say the silver one I didn't mind, except, of course, with the white flowers, when you've got a variegated foliage plant, the flowers don't stand out. Yeah. Mm. They yeah. disappear into the plant. So, yeah. so in a sense, it's not a great look. Uh, and the gold variegated one was a bit sort of sickly looking and yeah. very unstable. Mm. So it would throw back to the green on a 
seriously regular basis, and that actually makes a, tr- a plant worse. Uh, if it's going to be solidly variegated and stays variegated, yeah, you can no. sort of say, all right, well, that's fine. But if it's a moderately large plant that's inclined to throw reversions, um, it's not only sort of looks leprous and mm. disgusting, mm. but it's really hard to get at the bits that you need to cut out. Mm. And that was always my argument with the variegated um, uh, Queensland box. Um, Lephostomin. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was a very bold variegation. It is. But you don't see it around all that terribly much no. and it was never really stable. And so you'd get one that was up sort of five or six metres and there'd be a big green bit up at the yeah. top. Yeah, yeah. And you go, oh, what do I do? So if it's a small variegated plant, I can live with that because you can just nip all the bits out if it mm. goes to green. But I think if you're going to grow variegated plants at all, and I think the nursery industry need to take a little bit of uh, a forward step in this, is that you need to be comparatively confident that they're reasonably stable. Mm. There's no point in putting out a variegated foliage plant if it's not reasonably stable because it's just annoying. Mm. So, yeah, so anyhow, the variegated hohirias seem not to be around the trade anymore, but they were really popular, you know, both too young, back in the 60s and early 70s. Um, you'd see them as a suburban tree all over the place. So, uh, But then when they disappeared, the green ones didn't take over. I don't know why the green trees weren't sort of picked up by people. Yeah. Because it, it really is a really I'm, pretty tree. Yeah. The veins underneath on the bottom of the leaf, mm. because they've got that purpley red colour, they look like um, blood veins. Yeah. But yeah. they're like they're delicate. They're beautiful. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's a really pretty tree, mm. and yet you don't see it out around the trade very much. I have to say, growing it to sell, it does have some downsides because it's incredibly quick growing and it fills a pot with the root system really fast. Oh, okay. And so you've got to turn it over fairly quickly. Uh, but then I'd say that with quite a number of our native plants as well. A lot of our ukes oh, and things, if you don't turn them over quickly. Plenty of plants that fill pots. Yeah. Some plants look better in a pot mm. than what they do so they sell better, but yeah. they're not necessarily a better plant. No, yeah, and no, it's pe- true. people don't know or have no imagination. They Yeah. And the days of the nursery well. with the display garden thing are virtually over. There's hardly any nurseries oh, left with yeah. display gardens. I yeah. mean Karanga has one, but Karanga. you know, when you think about it, there's not terribly many places that you can go into to get that plant in a 15 or 20 centimetre yeah, pot uh, and actually see one. Mm. Mm. And it's one of those things, I know it takes up a lot of space and if you're not a propagating nursery like I am, then that space is probably better with pots on it because mm. you can sell the plants. Yeah. But a display garden of some of your important plants, particularly if they don't present well in pots, mm. is a great idea. And I think that's how totally. David Glenn's made his money over the years at Lamely Nursery as well, by having a seriously good display yeah. garden. People could go out and see these perennials that looked absolutely nothing in a tube totally but could see what the plant could potentially do and that will sell them warren glen nursery and warren diet used to be like that yeah nowadays they make most of their money in the cafe yeah (laughs) a lot of nurseries went down that (laughs) way which is sort of sad in a way because you put the cafe in as an adjunct to the nursery but it starts to make so much money that it actually becomes the prime source of income and once that happens you then become a coffee shop with added on plants yep and that's the wrong way around. Yeah, it is. It, t- <laughs> it sadly. totally is. Yeah, yeah. It is. So, yeah, so that sort of thing happens too. So, anyhow, so there was my first plant, which is Hoheria sextilosa. Um, definitely worthwhile planting. Beautiful. All right, we've had a couple of text messages come in. Rosie from Mount Eliza says, you guys need to Shazam the song on your phone. <laughs> Rosie, I'd love to do that. Can't do it in the studio, but yeah. maybe we'll do it next week. Yeah. But um, our good I'd like friend- to know what that means. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm so technologically minded. <laughs> it's a wonderful app you hold it up to a speaker and it tells you what song's playing 
Really? It's yeah. awesome. It's one of my favourite apps. So long apps. as it's a recorded song, it can tell you what it is. It's brilliant. Goodness me. See, I'm learning something every day. <laughs> Not that I think I'm going to engage with it necessarily. I don't think my life will be any less rich without the, the, the oh. app, but anyhow. Uh, someone called Roger, I'm pretty sure I know this Roger, uh, has text message in saying floral dance. Ah, yes, oh. the floral dance. Yeah, Played by George Zamfire on pan flute. Yeah. We said floral something or yeah. flower something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, I knew it had something to do with flowers. That's why it was selected yeah, it was in the chosen. first place. Yeah, so there you go, the yeah. floral dance. There we go. And yeah. we've got See, our... See, we don't need Shazam. No. <laughs> we've, got, <laughs> we've, got, we've got listeners. We've got Roger and listeners. <laughs> yeah. um, good morning to Michael in Forest Hill. Yeah, good morning. G'day. How are you going? Good. How are you? Yeah, floral dance. I've just, I've just noted that down because <laughs> yeah. I, I was told that um, uh, a, a couple of years ago and I, I forgot it. So like the I, rest of us. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So that's great. That's great. That's good to know. You know. But, uh, yeah. Oh, look, I'll, I'll get to my, I'll get to my question. Um, I, I, I'm here. I've got a westerly facing garden. Um, a typical three quarter acre block, and um, I am. It's it's got a lot of natives in it at the mo- moment, but I'm 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 sorry, guys, um, but I'm going to have to change it to uh, to um, planting that that it is more resilient to to the to, to the heat sort of thing. And what I'm are we just, going uh, down the cactus path now? Are we? Yeah, look, uh, yeah, uh, think, things like that, you know, and uh, things that are going to, you know, just take the heat sort of thing. And uh, what, what plants haven't been working in that spot at the moment? Well, they're they're, they're sort of they're, they're sort of working, they're, 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 uh, but they're, 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 the 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 natives are getting pretty sort of. Um, uh, they're getting a bit large and, um, you know, getting a bit rambling and all that sort of thing, you know. And uh, I, I, I've, I've, I, I, I've had to do a lot of, um, sort of uh, pruning and cutting back and all that mm. sort of thing. To, to yeah, look, I don't think it's it an issue of natives not working. I yeah. just think you might have the wrong natives potentially. So it's yeah. really a matter I, – I actually – I'm going to get on a high horse again. I do this all the time, but anyhow, it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, it's not about where a plant comes from necessarily that's really that important. It's what environmental niche it fits into in a particular environment. I mean, some of our worst weeds are exotic weeds – and that means they do really well here. Um, but then conversely, um, some of our natives have turned into being weeds in areas where they're outside of their natural habitat. Um, so it's really a matter of finding plants that work. And just by going into a nursery and saying, I'm going to go native or I'm going to do this, isn't necessarily going to work for you. You've got to be a bit more specific about it. You need to discuss you know, how big things are going to grow, how much space they're going to take up. People always talk about height, very rarely about width, mm. and that's yeah, a really gotcha. important thing. Um, and you know, management of them, because, you know, when we first started doing serious native plantings in this country, which goes back again to about the 60s or thereabouts, mm. um, 
Everybody was led along by the nose saying that, uh, you know, you didn't have to look after them, you didn't have to water them, you didn't have to prune them, you didn't have to feed them Mm. because they were native plants. And some really seriously awful gardens uh, arose from that. And I used to call them the Morse Code Gardens because the way to make a native garden apparently was three rocks, a sleeper, three rocks, a sleeper, (laughs) and then you'd cover the whole thing in wood chips and you'd whack in a grevillea and probably a blue gum in the middle or something. Um, So there was some really bad plantings that went on because we just weren't knowledgeable enough about our own native plants. Um, But it's really about how the plants work. I mean, I could sell you a buddleia that's every bit as tough and hardy as Mm. practically any native. And of course, they don't come from Australia, so they're an exotic plant. Um, And I do have to say, I get a little bit on my high horse about people planting natives for the higher moral ground and then putting in a Western Australian grevillea. Mm -hmm. It doesn't make any sense to me at all. You may as well put in a a hoe hearing. Yes, yeah, hoe Yeah, they're closer. And the other thing that uh, for those who do get on the higher moral ground, I hope I'm not offending anybody out there. Well, actually, I probably am, so I don't care. Um, (laughs) Is that um, it shouldn't be about the higher moral ground when you're gardening. It should be about growing the plants that do the job really well uh, and that you get pleasure out of. Um, And if you plant a Western Australian grevillea and you've got a local native grevillea, you could actually be mucking up the local gene pool. So, you know, you've got to look at things in a much more holistic way. And it's right plant, right place. Of course it is. It's always right plant, right place. And where it comes from doesn't matter. And people, unfortunately, have got this attitude and they regularly do it at my nursery. They come in and say, where's your native plants? And I say, why do you want native plants? And they say, because they're hardy. Mm. And I go, well, yes, a lot of them Mm. are. But a tree fern's not necessarily all that hardy and it's a native plant. Mm. And, you know, I could sell you a Queensland waratah, which isn't necessarily going to be easy to grow down here in Victoria. Um, So... So you need to have a much broader attitude. Yeah, yeah. and I always yeah. say to people as well, just to, you know, not necessarily blame the plant, look at the whole environment, yeah. you know, look at the soil, look at how you're watering. Yeah. Um, there's a fair chance that perhaps your soil's gone hydrophobic or perhaps your soil just could do with a good dose of compost. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, if you're looking to do something that's, you know, more or less maintenance-free, you've got to also be able to accept the payoff because a low-maintenance garden always looks like one. <laughs> I'm sorry, you know, if, if you're not managing your garden a little bit, then your garden's always going to look a little bit unkempt. Mm. So, Michael, yeah. it might be a, an opportunity to look at the garden bed that you're struggling with and either starting completely afresh or having a look at the plants that you've got, if you've got any labels or if you know the names, do some research into those plants and mm. find out what their requirements are mm. and see if you're meeting them. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, a co- I, I, Sorry, I, I should have explained. I, I, I'm, I'm semi semi qualified in horticulture, so I kind of I kind of understand what you're saying. I yeah. Just, so, and of course, the other plant, thing, you know. the other management issue, of course, is that a lot of natives were planted with the idea that you could step away, uh, and many of them will make a much better garden plant if they're regularly trimmed and nipped and tucked yeah. and things as a young plant. Yep. Keep them uh, keep them vigorous. Keep them bushy and dense. Mm, Once they yeah. get up tall, if you have to start cutting into old wood, yeah. then a good percentage of those natives are never going to respond in any sort of useful manner yeah. mm. and you better just to take them out and start from scratch. We've got another call yeah. on the line. Have yeah. you, right. both uh, of you two, right. no, no, st- hang on, stay on for a second, Michael. <laughs> Have you guys got one or two plant recommendations for Michael? All right. For um, Westerly Spot. Something really tough at, uh, for, for, for the heat, you know. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, um, well, uh, I mentioned Budlia before. Budlia crisper would be a plant that I would definitely recommend. I mean, it needs a trim back every so often because, uh, like a lot of plants, it can get a bit leggy, but it has huge, big silver leaves. Mm. The flowers are, uh, are pretty, but not really the point. Uh, but you get these big, soft, furry sort of lamb's ears-like leaves on it. grows to a shrub around about three metres. Um and I've never had to water mine. Um, yeah. So, yeah, so Budlia crisper, if you can find it, is a, is a damn good shrub. And another plant that I love from the Mediterranean is a thing that's called hare's ears, uh, Bupleurum fruticosa. And Bupleurum's in the carrot family, so it's an umbelliferous oh. thing. Oh. It gets these heads of little green flowers above oh, these grey leaves, and it is stunning. And I've seen it growing in Morocco. I've seen it growing in the south of France. Um, Bupleurum is a, is a fabulous shrub. Not all that easy to get. I've got a batch of seedlings coming along at the moment. They're not quite ready to sell. Uh, but if you're looking for something about metre, metre and a half, you yep. could do far worse than plant a Bupleurum uh, or right. several. Nice. Mm, okay. Chloe, have you got right. anything? I love my – I've got a – hot westerly um, garden and it's quite small but I love my leptospermum and starry night it just thrives mm-hmm. and I just the burgundy foliage and those tiny little white flowers so pretty so yeah. beautiful so pretty. yes I do like bronze and burgundy foliage I'm probably a bit of a goth at heart <laughs> <laughs> All right, Michael, hopefully right, we've been I've helpful. That, I've, got, I've, got, I've got all that noted down, so well done. I'll get out of your way. All the best. And, uh, thank you. Cheers, Take bye. Take care. All right, let's go to Nadia from Viewbank. Good morning, Nadia. Good morning. Thank you for waiting. What is your gardening question for us? Black soldiers lie larvae. Okay. Have you... Whereabouts? Yeah, where? In my worm bin. Well, they're not, they're not actually a bad thing. Um, and Nadia, I've actually had the, the, well, I'd say pleasure, but it's a beautiful smelly pleasure of trialling a new black soldier fly frass or poo product um, called Superfly in my garden. Um, yeah. And it's made from the poo of black soldier fly and they use the soldier fly because they're super composters. So they'll actually compost it something like three times their body weight or something in a day. So they do a better, better job than much, the average worm. <laughs> exactly. Much, much better job. Um, and so, yeah, they're not a bad thing in your compost bin at all. They might look a bit gross because, yes, I understand they do look a lot like a maggot, a, a very big maggot. Um, but they're not Will they eat the either. worm? No, no, they won't eat the worms. No. No, they're, um, they're only there dealing with the composting. Okay, because I've got another thing. I've got a compost bin, and because they're so efficient at eating up all the scraps that we give them, I thought I'd put them into the other bin. So is that okay to just uh, – and even put them in the garden? Would they eat the roots of the vegetables in no, my garden? No, they only eat dead matter. Yep. Okay. So okay, although well, whether they'd survive out in the garden, i I don't think sure. they would, no. I think they like the dark, the warmth, yeah. the – deliciousness of your uh, your worm oh, you're almost and making me feel I want to be one <laughs> oh good because they're just they're just probably so get dealt by they're one, fantastic. one day. yeah so there you go now yeah. yeah no they're actually using them as commercial composters so no wow. keep them around okay thank you very much you no worries no I like it if, I, if my compost is full of all sorts of bugs and yeah. things. I mean, that's the whole point. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, if I turn my compost and all the, the, the pink wriggly worms come out and the slaters and, and everything else that's in there. Exactly. Um, so long as it's not rats or mice. That's oh, I get them occasionally too. <laughs> um, I also have chickens. So when you've got chickens, you've got seed, you've got 
mice and rats. Uh, it's almost an inevitability. Yeah. Um, but then if one of the rats manages to drown itself in the in the chook water, oh. which happens se- semi-regularly, oh, they go in the compost. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nothing wasted. Nothing wasted. <laughs> yeah. I put a new compost bin recently and I didn't uh, dig the base in enough. Uh-oh. I was digging into pretty like, – it was just clay I was digging yeah. into. Yuck. And I came out one morning I was like, why is there a banana peel just sitting about, you know, two inches out from this little hole? Uh-oh. Oh, no thanks. So I – yeah. Put some elbow grease into it and dug it in and cover, sort of covered the base mm. of the yep. compost. Yeah, see, I have over. open compost pits. Yeah, and okay. everything goes into those. Yeah, so there's no way I can well, exclude rodents and things at, I and had birds an, and everything yeah, else. Yeah, I had an open compost bin at my last place, and I mean, it was way out in the backyard, mm. and it, it, you know, didn't bother me at all. Yeah, well, I don't worry about it. No, I, I generate so much green waste in my garden because I've got an acre of garden, yeah. and. Uh, your average compost bin is never going to deal with the stuff. I'd have to have dozens of them. Yeah. You know, yeah. even with my three big pits, I've got pits that are about two metres by two metres and yeah. there's three of them. And there's times when they're getting higher and higher because one hasn't rotted down enough to start using mm. it so that I can then sort of keep recycling and I end up with the whole three of them completely and utterly chock- chockers full. It's a challenge with waste, like green waste in any size garden mm. because I've got something quite small now and I can't mm. just go chuck everything in the old compost bin out the very backyard. Yeah. Now I've got some, I don't want to smell compost every time I walk out the back door. Oh, there's I mean, something about very... it. Clears your nasal passages. <laughs> <laughs> so... Yeah, I have a different style bin now. It's one of the ones with the lid on it. Yeah, yeah. So I, you know, I think it's going to be a bit of a challenge. Yeah, in it a will be. Way. Yeah. I'm on just a normal suburban block, but I use two of the I call them Dalek Dalek mm. compost bins or R2D2 compost oh, bins. That's what I've with got. The lid. Yeah, yeah. So I've just got two of them. So one's filled and then rotting down, and then the other one's being topped up. And I seem to be able to with. You know, mm. two adults and two kids yeah. keep that little sort of one-on-one-off system going. That's yeah, well idea. done. Yes, yeah. I just generate so much stuff, and I, of course, I'm a net green waste importer. <laughs> I bring home all the coffee grounds from the local cafe. You need to wear a tag that yeah. says that. Yeah, I think I need one. Yeah, on. uh, and I also bring all of the vegetable scraps home from the little local supermarket and I go through them all and things that the chooks won't deal with go straight into the compost bin. Yeah. Um, Potatoes and things that you can't throw in the compost bin because the bloody things will grow, Mm. uh, they get put aside and I put them down into my worm composting toilet system and then the worms take care of them down there. Uh, The chooks take care of the other stuff and they get lots of lettuce leaves and cabbage leaves and things like that. Um, And uh, so I sort through all of that. Um, practically daily mm. uh, so I try and call into the local supermarket virtually every day and most days will have a box of bits and pieces for me yeah. to take home. Dare I say I sometimes find some things in there that are usable as well. That would not surprise <laughs> me. You know, yeah. you, you, they'll throw a whole bag of oranges away because one's gone rotten in the middle oh, man. and the rest of the oranges are fine and I think well they go into the kitchen uh, yeah, um, and so that sort of thing happens as well. So yes I am definitely a net green waste importer and because of my worm composting toilet systems, even our grey, black and, and, and stormwater all stays on site as well. Mm, nice. So nothing leaves the property in, in theory. Um, and, you know, I've got an open fire, so if there's big logs from trees and things, they get burnt in there, the ash goes back into the fire. I waste nothing. Well uh, anything organic can go back, good. It does. Good, good, um, good. So, you know, and it's not that hard. And on a property the size of mine, I certainly generate enough stuff 
So, um, and I've got a big shredder as well that I can put branches and things through, which I hate because I, it's noisy and, and petrol guzzling and horrible, but it's the only way I can deal with that sort of stuff. Probably balances out everything else you're doing yeah. as well. Like, don't be hard on yourself. <laughs> yeah, yes, yeah. yeah <laughs> because but, of all the other, you know. Yeah, all the other things, things I'm doing, I'm sure I'm having a, a more positive impact yeah. than a negative one. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, yeah, you know, the proof's in the pudding. If you can put that stuff back into the garden. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. so my biggest hate in life now is those little stickers on vegetables and fruit. Oh, they so don't annoying. rot. Why they go they just into make my, them compostable? Yeah, they go into my compost bin and when I'm taking the compost out to put on the garden, I'm forever p- pulling out these bloody little things because yeah, you can't do it at the time you're throwing the vegetables in. It's just impossible. So I try and then get them out as I'm taking the vegetables out of the mm. – uh, or the compost out of the bins mm. uh, so that they're not sort of lurking around in the garden everywhere. Uh, they are just so annoying. They, they, yeah, far out. I mean, we could have a whole episode on how annoying those things are. They Uh, really are truly. In fact, I said something on social media one day about it and somebody didn't quite get what I was doing. You know, they said, well, just buy the ones from the shops that don't have the stickers on them because not all of the fruit and veg tend to have the stickers. Yeah, they don't. But but I'm bringing home the waste from those places, so I'm getting all of that stuff anyway. There's nothing I can do about it. Uh, But, like, why? I don't understand why they need to be on there. So they're on there because... Because um, once upon a time, it was really hard for the checkout operators to tell what apple is what apple, for example. And each apple variety has its own PLU or price lookup number. Yeah. So I used to yeah, work so in for Coles ignorant as people like a who checkout don't chick when I was well, 14 and like 4022 was pink ladies. I suppose when you're 14, you really don't care about learning no. about the differences between apple varieties. No. No. no, no so you, that, you're just there much, earning some money, really. They're pretty yeah. much there to tell... The consumer and also the checkout operators, what apple is what, what pear is what. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can understand the, the raison for it, but mm-hmm. it drives me They're still insane. annoying, yes. Yeah, they or are very they just annoying. make them compostable? I mean, yeah. I think beauty products promote the fact that their label is compostable, and I'm like, well, brilliant. Can't we put that on the fruit instead? Yeah, uh, I just don't get it. You're supposedly selling an organic product, something that is edible and rottable, and yet you're making part of it less so. Mm. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Oh, All right, let's Anyhow, keep that, moving. That, We're on another well, I, feel, I feel really good now. I've got that off my chest again. <laughs> There's a soapbox. Let's step off it. <laughs> we do that. <laughs> you are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster and I have Stephen Ryan and Chloe Thompson in the studio with me this morning. If you want to join the show, ask us any question gardening-related that you would like to, give us a call on 94190155 or... You can send us a text message on on zero four double eight eight zero nine eight five five. Now we can't take photos uh, in this on the screen for the text messages. If you have a photo that you want to send to us, the best way to do that is via email, and our email address is gardening at three crorgau the plants we are talking about today, we will also send photos to Liz, who does Mine are already socials. Up. He was organised. Yeah, He's I was so organised yesterday. Well, I've just been told by the ABC they want me to be far more organised as well because what they want to do is when I'm coming in to do my ABC one, they want me to do a little um, video of what I'm going to be talking about the next Saturday and they need to have it by the Thursday. Oh, good. So now I'm going to have to think of my topics well and truly in advance, yeah. do a little video 
video, send it to the producer, then she's going to put it through the ABC social media feeds so that people will know what I'm going to be talking about the next Saturday. You so you can't, you can't do what I did this morning at like 6.15. No, I can't run. Well, if I do, I'll be in trouble. Yeah. But well, having said that, again, I'm a volunteer. If I, if I do muck up, well, yeah. yeah. What are they going to do? Sack me? Yeah, only human. <laughs> yeah, so yeah. We'll so see if how you it goes. want, if you want to check out our photos, our socials, we're on Facebook and Instagram. The mm. handles for those is Three CR Gardening Show. So you can check us out there. Yeah, do come on board because it's another great asset. And Liz puts quite a bit of effort into making sure our pictures are up so people can see our yeah. plants. Yeah, and it makes it much easier. I mean, we're all good at describing them, but it's good to see a pic. It's good to see a pic. Mm. Uh, just a quick uh, reminder that, I mean, if you, unless you've been living under a rock, the Melbourne International Flower and Garden <laughs> Show is on this weekend, this coming week and weekend. Uh, Open Gardens Victoria, who are really fantastic supporters of the show, have a stand this year. They actually um, put it out, put their their stand out to tender they this did. year and uh, and made it a student garden design competition mm-hmm. ah, where. Yeah. They offered a ten thousand dollar grant from their giving program from the fun, from the funds they raise from opening their mm. gardens, and a landscape architect student Emma Shepherd Sims won it this year. Fantastic! Yeah, so Emma has designed their garden. It's called A Place for Us, and it will be at the Open Gardens Victoria stand. A twenty four is the number if you're looking it up on the map. Um, check it out. There'll be some. Beautiful plants there, a couple of interactive activities for you to do. Yep. Support them because they support us. And yep. we love the open garden stand. Oh, I can't wait to check out that garden. And yeah. you know what's also extra, extra special about it, Chloe? It's the very first show garden at the Melbourne International Flower and Garden Show that's been completely done by women. So designed, yep. built, planted all-girl team, so I think that's really brilliant. So go, girlies. Go, girlies. Yeah. yeah, well done. You can do anything. <laughs> we damn well can. We yeah, Thank exactly, you, you can. <laughs> um, and I actually know two of the girls who are on the team as well, so it's really fun. Beautiful. Um, can't wait to Good. check it out. I've just got a bit of a spiel about it. There's so much, I mean, in all of the show gardens and from the big ones to, you know, the little border ones, mm. there's so much thought that goes into them. It's called A Place For Us a place for curious plant fans, a place for water-wise gardening, a place for living creatures and a place for supporting mental health. Brilliant. They're their pillars of around the design. So Fantastic. I think it would be a beautiful thing to check mm, out. It's going to yeah. be gorgeous, yeah. Uh, and something a bit more relevant for li- – not a bit more relevant, also relevant for listeners is Tonkin's Bulbs will have their stand as well. Mm-hmm. They're usually down the city end. Yep. At the entrance to the city end, so Jane will be run off her feet, but go up and say hi and support them. Yes, please. AB will be there um, with her uh, horticultural editor hat on for Gardening Australia magazine, so I know she's going to be in there every day. You'll likely see her um, hanging around the Gardening Australia stand, which is usually down That's the city the end city as well. That's yep. mm-hmm. yep. uh, I'll be there at the Melbourne Polytech Career mm-hmm. Hub. On Friday and Thursday afternoon, come and say hi if you see me wandering around. And diggers also have a beautiful display oh, and stand as well. They've usually got some little talks mm. happening throughout the um, throughout the days too. Yep. So they're the people that you know. Tim Sansom from Diggers comes on here. Jane AB. So if you see any of the three CR yeah. yeah, people they around, help. they they they're not just 
doing it as a job. It's a vocation and they all get engaged with everything that's got to do with horticulture and they do things like come in here and we're all volunteers. We do it for the love of it and, you know, so, yes, if you can support 3CR and if you can support all of those businesses that these people are involved with, I think it's great. Absolutely, Mm. absolutely. And, Chloe, you're going to be there too. I will be (laughs) there. In a massive capacity. (laughs) I will be there. I've got so much going on. It's kind of crazy. So I've got the MC stage. Yep. Then on the Wednesday and the Thursday, I'm also talking on the Welcome Garden. I'm doing two talks for kids gardening because apparently Wednesdays and Thursdays are when the school groups come in. So I'm talking about Wollamai Pines one day on the Wednesday, I think it is. And then on the Thursday, I'm talking to the kids all about bulbs and we're going to do bulb lasagnas as a little demo. And then on the Friday night, I'm leading two tours, which are sold out, unfortunately. They? I'm sorry. I was watching your socials that night. Stephen, her tours sold out in about 45 minutes. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Little Miss Popular. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm leading two tours, 20 people each tour on Friday during the Twilight Gardens. And we'll go around to some of the show gardens. We might be able to step inside the odd one that's structurally safe to do Mm. so. (laughs) Um, But we'll be able to chat to some of the designers who are on their stands as well. Beautiful. Yeah. I'm looking forward to the Akis Show Garden again this year. Yeah. Last year they had with that half a house was so amazing. Amazing, wasn't it? Yeah. Yep. And the Melbourne Polytech design students, I'm very excited to see. The achievable gardens are often my favourites. Mm. Amazing. Because you for me, I love things that are achievable. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Financially. What you're and not like, so into, um, really? into eye candy necessarily. <laughs> <laughs> They're just what those design, you know, these new design students, what they come up with. Yeah. I love seeing it. And the other thing is the border gardens. I think they might be slightly larger this year. I reckon they, I are they are too. Are. I, the ante has been upped yeah. with the border gardens. So one, a, a listener to the show, um, Vivi Scapari. I was about to mention Vivi. <laughs> yeah, so... It, Vivid Tones Horticulture on Instagram, she's she's done one of them she this has. year and she sent me a photo last night. It's absolutely beautiful. Stunning. Beautiful mix of natives and exotics. She, mm. So she's like right plant, right place. And if anyone yeah. – actually, if anyone needs a good gardener, she actually knows what she's talking yeah. about. She loves her mm. plants and it's like right plant, right place stuff. Yeah, for sure. doesn't matter where it comes from. Yeah. And I yeah. think what's nice about the border gardens as well is because they they maybe look like two metres by two metres in size yeah. and they're crammed full of plants and those that get it right in terms of right plant, right place. You know, if you've got a situation that matches that plant choice, you literally take a photo of it yeah. and go, okay, well, I know that those plants all work together. Yeah. You know, off to the nursery I go. Yeah. Because a lot of the display gardens over the years have been all about show and no real substance in a way because they've often used plants that certainly wouldn't work long term because they're making a display garden. And wouldn't work together. Yeah, and wouldn't yeah. work together because you can, you, you know, for for six or seven days, you can get away with having uh, your hostas with your cactuses. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah <laughs> it can exactly. sort of be done, yes. but it's not. It's not actually something that can physically yep. be done in the real world. Yeah. So, you know, it's great if they're putting together gardens that are actually gardens that could work. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah. They're very, very well thought through. Mm. I think they've sort of cottoned onto that. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Mm. So AB has also got two baskets in the Hanging Basket competition oh, as well. Uh, we've had some Melbourne Poly students um, enter into the Hanging Basket competition too, which is always one of my favourite yeah. parts Look, it's, of the show. It's sort of a little daggy, but it's fantastic. It is like the old-fashioned show. It's yes. a throwback yeah. to, you know, gardening involved when Hanging Baskets were mm. – 
a thing in yeah. Australia. We yeah. don't. I've do always it had a sort of a, a love hate relationship with hanging baskets because yeah. they're nearly always at the right height for me to bang my head. <laughs> um, I know, <laughs> but there's something about a well grown one. I mean, when you go to Europe um, and they're you know stunning. you go through some of those little cottage uh, sort of villages and and they've got you know hanging baskets hanging off the light poles and and full of petunias or red geraniums or whatever, so cheery and lovely. Yeah. And uh, you know they sort of make use of their growing seasons because they have a a really big downtime later on. And so they'll put that extra effort in, which we tend to be a bit lazy about, really. Yeah, yeah. So Mm. I'm looking forward to that. It's all the good Is there anything else we missed, Chloe? Like, oh, I think it's just definitely worth coming down to have a look at this year. I felt like last year it was a little bit, I think people were almost in a little bit of a daze because they were coming out of the lockdowns. Mm. I know there was a few um, garden designers who were sort of on the back foot because they were, they weren't, they were, they weren't, they were, they weren't going to do a garden. Whereas this year I feel like everyone's just energised and like, you know, on the ball. Fantastic. There were there were gaps last year with some of the show gardens because designers and landscapers were catching up on a backlog backlog yeah. of work, so they just couldn't. But I, uh, everything's looking pretty full this year. Very full. Yeah, yeah. I've been stalking all of the designers on Instagram <laughs> <laughs> for like the last week. What <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, beautiful. Yeah. It's been fun. All right, let's get on to a text message that's come through. Jilly has asked to cull or not to cull. They're on eight acres. Uh, regenerating some bush in Hurstbridge. Uh, large original spotted gum, which can't be too original, has sighed eight new saplings in the last 10 years. Should they remove them before the cluster takes off or is a tree a tree and can it stay? Well, it stays in nature Yeah, is one argument I would use. I mean, if you're I'm, – I'm getting the sense that this isn't so much about gardening as more about revegetating, so I get the sense that, you know, we're looking at it from a slightly different angle. If I'm gardening, then I would definitely cull and I would sort of pick the best ones and, you know, make sure they're in the right aspect and all that sort of stuff so you would manage it. Mm-hmm. But if it's in a natural environment, um, you can just let nature take its course. Yes. Uh, so my addition to that is the spotted gum Crimbia maculata isn't mm. in Indigenous to this area. There's a couple of populations in Far East Gippsland, but it's in New South Wales and further above species. So if you're wanting to regenerate, Mm -hmm. then I'd be thinking about, well, what was on that plot of land pre-European settlement, if that's what... If that's sort yeah, of yeah, I mean, you if you've go, got yeah. a beautiful tree, you've got a beautiful yeah. tree, and you can look at it from that aspect only. Yeah. Um, and if that tree is in fact producing young, uh, then it may be a matter of leaving them and managing them. Um, uh, I mean, I remember going out to the Cranbourne Botanic Gardens when it was first being developed, and there was a, I can't remember which species it was, but it was a eucalypt that was growing on top of one of the sand hills there that wasn't a native or local oh, native. Yeah, platypus uh, or something. I can't remember what it was now, but I can remember whoever it was that was taking us around the garden saying, there's our biggest weed. Yeah. Mm. You know, because it's not a native tree. But then yeah. again, the whole Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, most of it isn't, in fact, Indigenous mm. plants. It's native plants from all over the country. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, But they were worried when they first were planting it out that they were going to be putting things in there, and I think they still assess what they plant, uh, that might get out into the bushland areas that they're also managing mm. around them. So they've got a this multi-layered thing they've got to deal with. Mm. Um, because, you know, our natives can, in fact, become weedy in areas that they're not native yeah. to. Yeah. Um, although you could argue that it's a plant doing what plants do, and that is taking over uh, habitat because 
plants keep fighting to move outwards yeah. or they lose the battle and they get pushed mm. out. Mm. Um, so nature is sort of dynamic. It's not static. And I have this argument regularly. I'm going to get into such trouble saying this. Petosporum undulatum. Oh, no, mm. you be careful, sir. Yeah, yeah well... I have read that Petosporum undulatum used to have a much, much greater uh, habitat range before the Aboriginals started burning 60,000 years ago. And one could argue that it is in many cases taking back habitat it once had. You could potentially, and look, the Australia used to be warmer and hotter, and yeah. that's what that's what it likes. My argument with with it with that species is that it's severely decreases biodiversity. It releases a plant inhibiting chemical, uh, plant mm. growth inhibiting chemical underneath it. So really like the only plant that grows underneath it is weeds that can withstand it that are really, really mm. strong. So but it completely decreases species diversity. Yeah. It in does areas create a different shade grow. canopy as well. Look, it's, a, yeah. it's a really nice tree. I, I love like the flowers, it as a tree. The smell, yeah. the the fruit, a beautiful big, you know, the big orange fruit. But my issue with it is that it that biodiversity and it just completely takes over an area and you end up with something where there might have been 100 different species mm. of plants and there's one species of plant. And it's done that in a couple of gullies up near Sydney. Has mm. it? Mm. Yeah. So I, I just, I'm really concerned about it from that perspective. Mm. And it bum, it's a bummer because it's a Victorian plant. Yeah. It grows up around East Gippsland and further up mm. and it's a lovely plant. Yeah. But it that, has great garden potential as a as a good screening plant. It'd be a good hedging plant. Yeah. I mean, there's lots of ways, and that's probably how it first came into cultivation. It does prune up quite yeah. well. Yeah. I've tried to kill them a number, like kill a number of them, and they just sprout back. And there's yeah. all this beautiful bright green. <laughs> yes, yeah. And, and, and that's like, the other thing I have to say about that particular if they're pruned, plant. Yeah. If they, I reckon if they're pruned into a hedge and mm. you remove the seeds before yeah. they have any chance of being eaten Spreading. and spread further. Mm. And you manage it because yeah. like, you can manage a privet hedge as well. Yeah, of course you can. Uh, and the thing about it too from my perspective is it's got that sort of rich greenness about it that it's often lacking in some of our native plants. We do we do grey really well. Mm. And so that Petosporum almost doesn't look like a native because it's got that sort yeah, of lush, green. greeny mm. look about it, um, which I find quite appealing. I quite like that look. Um, and, yes, look, you know, we can say let's put things back to the way they were before white people arrived, but the Aboriginals have been managing plant material in the country for 60,000 years, and in some cases they have been pushing plants aside because of their burning regimes and other things. So you've got to argue, you know, it's a really murky thing. Yeah. And so you you can't just say, if we could, we'd put it back as it was in 1770 because everything had been managed up to then as well. Yeah. You know, so where do you draw the line? You know, I mean, ginkgos were once native to Australia (laughs) some millions of years ago. I had a chat with them. Oh, for the Diggers podcast that I've been working on, Clive Blasey said the exact same thing. I was like, all right, mate. So native plants as we know them at the moment, we're talking about current day political boundaries. That's (laughs) probably the definition that we go with. Yeah. Yes, ginkgo pollen has been found yeah. in Australia. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, so it just I, opens I, up. And I've talked about this same thing with students. Yeah. They're like, oh, so I was just reading the other day that ginkgos used to grow down here. And yeah. a, they mentioned a couple of other plants too. Yeah. And, and Wallamai pine used yeah. to be super widespread. Yeah. yeah, well, of course it was back in, in Jurassic times yeah. and earlier. Um, and the Australian continent was in a different place. So, you mm. like, you got 
geology and plant tectonics yep. and yep. global you know, climate. We've got that those little sort it. of pockets of things like southern beech and, and that sort of thing that would have been the dominant yeah. plants because Clive's argument is always that eucalypts are weedy, they've taken over. <laughs> I know. I know. Uh, yeah. So, There's so many other factors at play. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, but it can give us an awful lot of uh, comparatively harmless things to talk about, can't yes. it? You know. Uh. All right. Uh, let's get back to Jilly's question. I, I, my my advice to Jilly is to have a think about what your objectives are with yeah. your regeneration. Yeah. Because the spotted gum is native, but it's not indigenous, current day indigenous yeah. to this area. But if you're wanting to do that, then um, grab flora of Melbourne, go to some local reserves and, and find out what species are from around yeah. that area. Mm. If you're wanting Southeast Australian native, well, then the spotted gum fits right in. Just have a think about what the objectives are. Yeah. Yeah. With and, of the course, the, the other thing we're long-term we've got to start thinking about, of course, is global warming. And some things are going to be pushed beyond their brink, even in their native habitats. And so that's the other thing. Do we, in fact, try and put back what was here you know, generations ago, uh, if the climate's going to change to the extent that that plant's going to be pushed beyond its actual yeah. tolerances. Mm. And so, you know, therein is all sorts of uh, potential things we have to look at. So are we then revegetating or are we vegetating for the climate as it is at the moment mm. or will be in time and to that, come? that's something a lot of councils are actually planning mm. with their tree plantings these days. They're thinking, well, will this tree survive yep. if we're mm. five degrees hotter? Yeah. You know, so I think, yeah, that's something that... And, of course, the Melbourne Botanic Gardens has done exactly the same thing. They've, yeah. they've done the long-term study to work out what, in fact, they should be trying to keep the landscape looking as it is because it's an important historic landscape, but changing the plant palette as time goes on to plants that mm. are going to cope more. Mm. Like when the big um, Quercus alba fell down yeah. in the oak lawn and they've left the body of it there and turned it into seating and all sorts of things, and it's great. I love it. Mm. But they've planted three more oaks around that area and they're all from much hotter, drier parts of yep. North America. Yep. So they will have the longevity that another white oak probably wouldn't yeah. have. Yeah, so you still have that design, like the design intent and sort of being faithful to what was there, but mm. you're also matching something that uh, taking a much more pragmatic approach with well, what's going to survive. Yeah, yeah. And, and it is something we will all have to come to terms with yeah. in due course. And, you know, in small ways I've come to terms with a lot of things that I can't grow anymore mm. uh, that I used to grow. I mean, I used to grow blue poppies from Tibet. I used to grow gentians from the Alps. Uh, I used to grow all sorts of really cold climate plants. Mm. I just can't grow them anymore. Mm. Uh, I've just learnt that, you know, they're, they're just not worth my while, yeah. not only from the perspective of being able to grow them, but to sell them. Who's going to buy something that's, you know, basically a dead end yeah. it's just not going to work yeah there's a database that a number of horticulturalists and scientists from macquarie uni and uh, maybe some from melbourne uni have developed called which plant where that's what i was just doing you need a subscription to access all the information which is like it's it's not great they need to make there's so much work that's gone into this they're yeah. assessing plants and mainly trees for mm. targeting council and and government mm. Um, which is where the, the cost comes in for, but looking at them to see how suited they are and doing all this climate mapping yeah. yep. for different scenarios. Um, amazing, amazing database, but I think it needs to be made accessible 
to people because when they say they're making a charge on it, do we know how much it actually costs? Twelve hundred dollars yeah. a year. It's, what? Yeah, it's no. it's expensive. It's it's targeted at councils and government. Yeah. yeah, well, that's fine. They could pay for it, but it should be available in some form because or another to the general public. A per yeah. annum cost as well. A, a, and I was talking to some students about this that that are landscape designers and they're they're sort of upskilling. They're like, I run my own business. Like a sole trader, I can't afford twelve hundred dollars a year. No, but I want to access this information. It's huge money. Yeah, I sent them an email. We'll mm. see what happens. Oh, good, good for you. <laughs> nice. uh, it was very nice about it. I was like, guys, this is an amazing database. People need to be able to access uh, it. Yeah. But then also, it's like, well, you know, they should be able to earn money for all the research that they've done <laughs> sure. and the work that's gone yeah. into this. Double edged. Surely you can have a cost for councils. And, and something for slow, for you know sole traders mm. or or the general public. Yeah, you need to have a range of things. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But all anyhow, right. we've got a few um, text messages and calls to get through. All so, right. uh, Karen has a very large handkerchief tree, three plus meters. That's very sparse and only flowers every few years. What can she do to improve the growing conditions? It mm. is planted in a sheltered position. Well, if she's got it in a sheltered position, that's a good start. Where about, does she say where she's from? What suburb? Doesn't or, say. Oh, damn. Um, look, they're not good around Melbourne. Uh, they really need to be up in the hills, so they grow well up in the Dandenongs. They grow well up at Mount Macedon. Mm. Uh, they like a deep, rich soil, so that lovely dark volcanic brown soil. They like a sheltered spot well out of the winds. Uh, the soil needs to be deep. And I, my gut feeling is that the tree is probably on shallower soil than it's happy with. And there's not an awful lot you can do. Yeah, if you've you got know, compost, add yeah, it, yeah, but, but not too deep. Yeah, it's going, yeah, it's just going to be one of those things. I mean, certainly they grow in the forests of China where they've got sort of leaf litter lying around them all the time. So by building up your compost around the tree, that might help. Um, Spreading leaf, if you've got leaf litter around. Yeah. And spread it around. Well, and the certainly tree. don't rake up the leaves from the dove tree. Let, yeah. let, let them just be around the base oh, of the tree. Such a cool tree. Oh, it's, I, one of my life's great memories of, of, of a tree is of a dove or handkerchief tree. And I was in Ireland at a garden called Mount Usher. And Mount Usher's got this river that runs down through the garden and it's been dammed all the way down. So you've got this flat, clear water oh. uh, and then it hits the, the, the concrete barrier and drops over it so yeah. you, you haven't got this rushing thing you've got these big sheets of water and there was a big davidia growing up on one side of it and and all the branches were coming oh. out flat they were all full of, of white flowers and you could see the flowers reflected in the water below oh. <sighs> stunning i just stood there no i just googled it while you were talking i've only like, just learned about in the last 12 yeah. months they're so cool it literally I did looks do like a, i did do a youtube yeah. video on it i, I was funny uh, Stephen. i googled and your YouTube that was video the, was the oh, first thing that came uh, up. The <laughs> algorithm's working. <laughs> oh, fantastic. Yeah, that's really good. I'm pleased about that. But, yes, it's a lovely tree, but it is, again, like we were talking about before, right tree, right place, yeah, and Karen, I've got a sense. She just messaged back she's in Hawthorne. Oh, yeah. yeah. Look, it's always going to be a struggle. You're never going to get it to flourish well. Uh, I'm actually quite impressed that you've got it growing at all. Yeah, to three um, metres. Yeah. yeah, and, um, yeah, so, look, you're pushing the boundaries and there's really not much yeah. I can give you in the way of help with that. Other than to Organic suggest you buy a nice property at Mount Macedon. <laughs> Elton. She can yeah, buy Elton. Yeah. There's a beautiful one up yeah, there. Yeah, yes, yes. <laughs> All right, we've got some calls we must get right. to because they have been waiting very patiently. John Bentley, good morning. Oh, good morning, John. Oh, good morning, Thank everyone. you for waiting. Oh, that's all right. It's, uh, we're always very patient down here at Milton. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just interesting 
earlier you were talking about gardens with a nursery and how we're losing those. Yeah. Mm. And I was just going to mention a lot of friends do have sort of once a year or twice a year sales, but the Melton Botanic Garden is uh, has a nursery with a big garden attached. It does. You see a lot yeah. of the, the plants there, and we're open on the second and fourth Sundays and Tuesdays and Thursdays from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., so we'll be open today. Oh, good. Um, so if people wanted people to go come. down, they could wander the garden, obviously, and then come in and see you at the nursery site and say, look, I saw this one out there. Have you got any? And, and the lovely people will often, some of the things we sell in the nursery are often in nearby little gardens or our pollinator's bed or the century garden just alongside the nursery, and they take people over there to, to show them that and um, would try and give people advice about things. And oh, good. Someone else I noticed had hot westerly aspects mm-hmm. uh, this morning. Well, we've certainly got those out here. <laughs> yes, you yeah. do that well in Melton. Show you a whole range of plants. That Michael needs that. to take a trip out to yeah, Melton. I think yep. he does. And yeah. actually, that does raise another thing. There is another great nursery in Victoria that has a display garden that we haven't mentioned, Rorama Nursery down at Lara. Yes. You know, Lyle's Nursery, if anybody's never been there, it is outrageous. That's a great word for it. It is. It's yeah. just amazing. <laughs> so, yeah, that's another one. So Melton and, well, really, Melton and Lara aren't that far apart. You could do both. Yeah, you could. Yeah. Yeah, yeah you, you could. We, and we have a, a lot of plants that we've got um, from Roraima as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you'll see a lot of those in the Californian, Central South American and the Southern African and Mediterranean gardens. Yeah. Fantastic, and, John. And we, we, we could also pop up... Um, Northwoods Way and go to Mount Macedon. <laughs> you could. Well, autumn's hitting us up there. <laughs> For hotspots. plants from, from Dixonia yeah. as well. Yeah. So. yeah, well, I've sold some things to Melton Botanic Gardens. So, you know, I do grow things that... Outside of your range. Or, well, outside of what Mount Macedon would be classically yeah. known mm. for, but things that will cope with my climate and would also cope with Melton or wherever else. Because um, some plants are amazingly adaptable. They can grow in a huge range of climates and, mm. and conditions. And, you know, I'll often grow things that are slightly borderline for me only because they're rareish and nobody else is growing them. And so somebody needs to be. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and also they're a little bit unusual and, and often hard to get things too. Yes, so, and, uh, and that's always fun. I like to have something yeah. in the garden that my friends and family don't know what it is so I can explain it to them so they learn and I look smart. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and if people are popping out that way today, if they feel inclined by 10 o'clock and they come in their gardening clothes, um, we've got to grow the garden day, but uh, we're working on a new project, which is the Queen's Jubilee Tree Planting Project. So yeah. it's nearly a 500-metre avenue of trees along wow. our, all the way along our eastern boundary. Wow. But are you we're, doing we're a mix of... we today. That's easy. Yeah, are what, what species, species are you using, John? Uh, the species, it's all Australian native trees mm-hmm. um, in sort of clusters. So we've got a cluster of grey foliage trees. So they're in 20-metre uh, long clusters by about 10 to 15 metres deep. Yeah, you don't do but anything cl- by halves in that garden. No, <laughs> no we, we've got clusters of flowering, ones that have showy flowering gums, cluster of acacias, clusters of brachychitans, wow. uh, maleucas, um, calistamins. So you get the, the theme and, and a cluster awesome. of sort of loosely bush foody things um, just in there. But they've got to be sort of, as you, that'll lead eventually to the botanical 
Botanic Garden Centre, which will be the main entrance and significant building with a cafe uh, <laughs> one day, one day. Um, to, to the garden. So we want to have an impressive line of trees that you see that you are coming to a botanic garden. So I love it. I love an avenue of trees. I like how you're doing that too with showing off different species in, yeah. in clusters. That's great. Fantastic, John. Well, thank you for ringing Thanks in. Thanks for that calling was good. in, John. We'll catch you soon. Lovely. Okay. Right. Bye. 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 All right. And another very patient caller. Um, hello to Carla. Hi. How are you going? Good. How are you, Carla? Good. Thank you. Uh, now, we've got you. Are you... Um, have you got an achievable garden this at yes. Mifkus this year? Yes. Uh-huh. Yes. Tell but, us about uh, it. Uh, well, I'm a Melbourne Poly student and I'm one of 12 students from Victoria that are building show gardens in Mifkus. And everyone's really lovely and having a great time, but we're very nervous about possums. <laughs> <laughs> yes, possums in the in the gardens down there are a serious issue with regards yes. to the display gardens and the hanging baskets. Have you got your yes. nets ready? Well, this is the thing. Like, we've all been very lucky and lots of wonderful nurseries have loaned us very big trees and some of them are difficult to net without damaging. So one of my classmates has wondered if we put like strips of timber with nails poking up around the edges of our gardens because our gardens have three walls mm. so if we net the front like a front curtain and we have strips with nails up would that be enough to deter a possum from climbing over i know it's not very friendly I, I think friendly think goes out the window. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't worry, don't worry yeah, about yeah, that. Yeah, the possums might not enjoy it, but it's not going to actually physically hurt them long no, term or anything. They might go, you're ouch. Only, you're only yeah. there for a short period of time. I, that might be one of the one of the best things you can do. I'm just thinking if they're – I'm visualising where the um, achievable gardens are. And so long as they're not sort of in like jumping distance from another tree where they can jump into the garden, but I don't think they will be. No, no, I don't think no, they are. No, we're not. No. Yeah. We're not. You, you might find it just as easy to have something loose around the top instead yeah. of nails, but something that the possums will try and clamber over and then they'll get all sort of oh, befuddled yep. because, you know, something like um, chicken bubble wire or something. net, uh, bubble wrap or, or, oh, yep. or, or loose. Well, chicken wire might actually be climbable, uh, but yep. you, you yeah. need something that's sort of soft and, and, and would make it difficult for them to get up and over. So you could try yep. something like that. Or the um, yep. Jacob, our producer, has just sent through a couple of suggestions. The d- the high-frequency deterrence. Oh, yeah, the sounds. The, okay. the sounds, which yeah. might sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. Yeah, I, there's I'm an old possum that's city... hearings going. It might not have any And the, the city <laughs> possums are going to be, they're pretty urbanised. Yeah, yeah, I don't think they'd care about funny noises, would they? Yeah. No, yeah. no, no, no they're possums. used to funny noises. <laughs> yeah. um, but, yes, the best of luck with that. That's going to be an interesting issue because I know with the hanging baskets, I remember talking to the Rickabies about it and they have to put they things put around, around each them. individual yep. basket every mm. night uh, mm. to protect yep. them from the possums. Mm-hmm. And, yes, it sounds like a bit of a nightmare. Um, it takes a while to, to net everything. Mm. Yeah. A polypipe on a... Uh, there's some yeah. might be a bit slippery for them. Yeah, yeah that's a bit slippery. Oh. Look, I, I yeah. know it might not be possible at Mifkus, and particularly if you're not there every day to take it down, but I have great success at my place by putting up old soft toys, Yeah, um, particularly oh. soft toys with big eyes. I'll put them, oh. like if I catch them and they're climbing like 
up my arches. I'll put mm-hmm. the soft toys in the arches. And I think it's my possums. Maybe, again, the ones in the city would just think it's whatever. But the possums <laughs> Another in, soft toy. <laughs> yeah, the possums in my area, literally, I, th- I think what it is, is they see the soft toy and go, what the hell is that? <laughs> you know? Could that be a predator? Exactly. Could it, and what I do is I move them around every so often. So I don't know if that would work with you guys. You could pop down to the local op shop and grab an armful. But my yeah. local possums, if I do that a few times on a spot that they keep pestering, mm. then they yeah. obviously get a little bit deterred, like, oh, something else has moved in. Yeah. Well, they are territorial. I like how simple that idea Yeah, go to the, and go to the op shop. Yeah, just go to the op shop. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's a great idea. I'll pop or you can come to my treat. place. My dogs have got so many soft toys, I'm sure they could lend you some. <laughs> the very generous. Very generous. Uh, well, Good luck, Carla. All the best, Carla, Look with everything. Yeah. Possum deterring so and everything else. Yeah, yeah, so much work has gone into those gardens by you guys. Yeah. So congratulations. Thank you very much. No worries. All the best. See you later. Right, see ya. Bye. <laughs> okay. A couple of text messages are still coming through. You are listening to the 3CR Gardening Show. I'm Chloe Foster and I have Stephen Ryan and Chloe Thompson in the studio with me this morning. Kendall from Coburg wants to plant a hazelnut grove in their front garden yeah. to replace the lawn, but they're worried that the Coburg clay soil is too heavy. Any advice? Well, for hazelnuts, I'd say possibly yes. Uh, It would need a lot of work to ameliorate the heavy clay. Um, Again, hazelnuts do far better in a... A rich sort of soil. What climate? I'm thinking climate too. Is it? Uh, look, warm? no. It's, it's possible that they'll they'll fruit, mm. uh, but of course you've got to go into the making sure you get two different cultivars that are cross pollinating mm. yeah. with hazelnuts. So um, they'd certainly need to do a little bit of research on that. I'm sure some of the large bare rooted tree growers would have which cultivars to go with what. I mean, Flemings yeah. and JFTs and all those people tend to have pollinator charts that you can get a hold of. Um, so, But, yes, the heavy clay soils I, I do worry about. I, yeah, there's some people I contact, Heritage Fruit Trees. Yeah. It's a little bit of a drive, but I'd probably contact them and mm. have a chat to them about which varieties might take the heavier soil. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's possible. Yeah, uh, And also having a look in the Flemings that, Fleming's guides do have uh, quite a fair bit of information in them yeah. too, so there might be something yeah. So, there. Yeah, so I would certainly look into that before I leapt into planting a grove of hazelnuts. I might also add that you're likely to encourage a nice flock of cockatoos coming through when the hazelnuts are just ripening <laughs> as well. Um, Those possum deterrents, we might have to move into cocky deterrents. Yeah, because um, any of the nut trees are always at risk uh, from our large avian uh, friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know that cockatoos have worked out hazelnuts so and once they learn how to use something um smart animals and they live for a long time and they teach their offspring you know so it's like the yellow-tailed blacks around our area are having the best time with any pine species now they're cleaning all the pine cones out they're taking all the seeds out of the pine cones if i'd 30 years ago planted a pine nut orchard i'd be really annoyed about now Mm -hmm. uh, because there's no way you're going to get pine nuts in this country with with cockatoos yeah, true. So, yeah. Um, yes, uh, but they are having an impact on the weediness of some of the pines. That, yeah, and that's a good thing. Yeah, yeah and, and it's giving them a food source. Yeah. So, in fact, down the end of our street, there's a couple of uh, there's a row of radiata pines in a property down the end of our street, and the neighbours opposite have got a row of hakeas, and the the 
uh, yellowtail blacks move between the two. Oh, and what? so they're pulling yeah. bits off the hakeas and breaking open the pods and eating those seeds. And then they go across the road to the, the radiata pines and have a fabulous time yeah, on those as well. Smorgasbord yeah, they're, yeah, dinner they're getting, and dessert. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're getting quite a nice varied diet. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, our, we, it's 8.40. We're going to be here till 9.15. If you want to join the show, call us on 94190155 or you can send a text message 0488 809 855. If you want to send us photos, you'll have to send an email and our email is gardening at 3cr.org.au. And somebody will deal with it next week. Yes. (laughs) It's the Um, only problem. Rosie from Mount Eliza has messaged it again. She says, can I mention the Nobby's View Garden? The nursery there has a lovely display bed of drought-tolerant plants. Ah, It's on the Flinders Shoreham Road. Yeah, I've forgotten about them. They do have a good display garden. There's another smaller nursery that I must mention too, Paddy's plant nursery in Monbulk unfortunately is closing down but they've got a sale of all their stock at the moment oh. so if you're from around that area five dollars for the plants wow. there. really unfortunately another oh nursery i hate one. hearing about yeah, yet yeah, another nursery that disappearing is a little bit sad. Mm. it is it's very sad and i mean we've had a few of them disappear um i know lamely nurseries on the market at the moment yeah. looking for a loving owner i really hope they find an owner oh yes it would be really nice if it could continue on as a functioning nursery because it's just such a wonderful asset yeah but yeah. um the trouble with buying somebody else's nursery it's not it's never going to be quite the way you want to run oh, your there business there is no one way to run a nursery as well no, yeah exactly there's... so you know most people who who start nurseries tend to start on a vacant site and work up a nursery the way they want to yeah. run a nursery they don't often go in and buy somebody else's already mm developed nursery but yeah lambley would be a fantastic place i mean the house is fantastic the display gardens are beautiful um and i guess you you could be seen to be buying some goodwill with that one uh so it could be a good start to a business and when we're lucky karanga's recently been bought by a young couple that just love their aussie plants so hopefully yeah hopefully lambley will you know have the same thing will happen oh let's hope so fingers crossed We've plants. still got a lot of plants, and we, we actually we haven't got to that many. I know. Chloe, Can you what have smell you brought my in? Desk? Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I brought in, very appropriate for radio, I've brought in a bunch of smelly things. Beautiful. <laughs> um, so I wanted to bring in two things just as a reminder that, A, you can grow them in Melbourne, and if you do grow them in Melbourne, then now's the time to be bringing them into a sheltered spot because we're starting to get cooler. So I've got true curry leaf and lemongrass. Now, I have both of these in my garden. They survive year-round, but... This time of the year, they get they're in pots and they get put into my glass house where they stay until the nights are back warm again. Yeah, good um, idea. Mid spring, so yeah, definitely have a go at growing both of those. They're staples in mm. my cooking, um, and I wouldn't be without them. Yeah. The other thing that I have brought along is some flowers from my beautiful hop vine. Which, if anyone has ever smelt hop flowers, they smell like the floral notes in beer. Yeah. Absolutely magic. Can you pass one over, please? Yeah, have a sniff. It makes you actually want to nip down to the pub and have a beer, <laughs> even though it's this early in the morning. Yeah, I don't think. I, even, even that might It's not that real floral mm. note of beer. And so this is what they use in uh, beer to give it that floral notes. Um, and there's different varieties. Now, I'm assuming you're not making your own beer at home? No, but I have made hop cordial with this before. Oh, yeah. How do yeah. you do that? You soak the leaf. I can't remember the actual recipe, but it was something along the lines of soaking the flowers 
um, in, I think it was just a sugary syrup. Yeah. And then you made a, a hot flavoured cordial and we just added you, some bubbly water. Basically the same as doing elderflower yeah. cordial, exactly. I guess. Yeah, same. Because we do that every year. Yep, exactly um, the same. I've got a cupboard full of elderflower cordial. Oh, can I have a bottle? Can I have <laughs> a bottle, please? <laughs> It's fabulous. Yeah. The thing I love about the hop plant is just how vigorous it is and how we use it as a bit of a wow factor feature because obviously in wintertime it's completely under the ground, but then come November up it goes up these pieces of string mm. that we erect on a little T cross section and it shoots up to, oh, I don't know, five metres tall. Yeah, they can grow enormous in Huge. no and, time flat. Yeah, exactly, and then straight back down under the ground. So. It actually raises the whole um, issue of solar passive things yes. because often people will plant a climber on the on the north side of the house or whatever or the west side of the house to give summer shade yep. but being deciduous then lets winter light in but then if actual fact a deciduous climber doesn't actually let that much more light in when it's bare yeah. than when it's in foliage but something that's herbaceous Perfect. and disappears completely allows for all the light to get in yeah. and so and it's really only a matter of snipping it all off and pulling out the yep. the dead stuff um uh, and then it lets all the light in for the winter so yep. but yeah would you give hops a health warning though about their vigor uh, as far as suckering around and they, things yeah yeah mine's planted in a planting ring oh, to right. try and contain its suckering mm. um if anything it's actually also right near a raspberry plant and my raspberry suckers more than the hops so. <laughs> <laughs> well i've got the golden hop in the garden at home and i have to say i haven't been managing it terribly well of recent years and it's taken off across my blue and yellow border yeah uh, and i really need to start getting a bit sort of vigorous about it at some point so this winter i'll probably have to dig up lots and lots of roots uh, uh, it's lovely though it gives Really quick yeah. impact. Yeah. Although, unfortunately, my golden hop is not a female, so I don't get. Oh, you don't get the flowers. No, I don't get the flowers. Yeah, oh, bummer. Well, I but I do get very pretty leaves. Yeah, mm. that's it. The colour of the leaves would be yeah. beautiful. We've had another couple of calls come ah. through, uh, so we will say good morning to uh, Sharon in Cheltenham. Hello, Sharon. Hello, Sharon. Hi. Hello. Sorry, ah. I pressed the button wrong. That was my fault just then. <laughs> good morning. Look, it was just a question on um, chocolate bites. Mm-hmm. Um, how easy is it to grow and what sort of position and general? Now, when you say chocolate vine, I'm assuming you're talking about a kibia? Yes, I yeah, did right it gets down. little sort of uh, chocolate brown flowers with a sort of a chocolatey scent. Um, yes. Now, akibia, I've actually spent some time destroying my akibia in the garden at home, so be warned, it's a very, very vigorous vine and it does oh. tend to sucker uh, yes. and it will hit the ground and layer uh, as well, so you need to keep it up off the ground. Uh, it's a lovely vine, very pretty foliage. Um, some akibias will get edible fruit on them as well, um, but... But um, the one I had in the garden at home, which was the common one, Akibia quinata, um, didn't in fact ever produce any fruit on it. It flowered and the perfume was very nice. The foliage was lovely, but it leapt out and tried to strangle every plant within cooey of it. Um, So it is a... It's It's a beautiful plant. It's a lovely plant, but it is very vigorous and it will grow in semi-shade through to full sun. Uh, It's not particularly fussy about soil type. I guess if the soil's a little bit on the impoverished side, it might hold it back a bit is about all, so that it may not be quite as vigorous. Uh, But you do need to plant with some discretion because it can be an absolute thug. It could take over a whole garden. Oh, tell you what, we've had um, terrible trouble with, um, I think it's called a Japanese bamboo. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I moved it twice and it was fine. And the third spot it's taken off, but it's now just out of control. We just, <laughs> Yes, well, running bamboos of every type can be an issue mm. uh, if they're not managed or put a root barrier down for. Um, I would always recommend clumping bamboos to home gardeners unless there's a really specific reason for using a running bamboo. Um, and I've got a couple of runners in my garden at home and we try and manage them, uh, which means going down and digging out the rhizomes on a semi-regular basis, probably once every oh. year to two. Um and uh, uh, the reason I grow a running bamboo is so that I can create a bamboo grove. You can't do that with a clumping one. Um, so if you want to get a grovey effect, you've got to have a runner. Um, but you do have to be responsible with them. One of mine's close to the road, so I've got a feeling the road will stop it going too far. That's a, that's a pretty uh, hard barrier. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, so I don't know how, what, what to suggest with your Japanese bamboo, whichever bamboo it is. But, um, uh, yes, well, Matt... I didn't realise it was a bamboo. That was the trouble. I was given it by a neighbour mm. and... Um, you know, in those days I was so busy, I just stuck it in the ground sort of thing and didn't think about it. But, mm -hmm. um, yeah, the other thing that's become a pest is that, um, horseradish I've planted in the back. <laughs> Yes, oh, yeah. Yeah. horseradish <laughs> can have an enormous zest for life um, oh. and just how much horseradish you need in the average <laughs> kitchen uh, is a debatable thing. Um, and it's not a plant of any great beauty. No. It's a big, no. coarse, thuggish thing. Yeah. Um, it, unless you find the variegated leafed one, funnily the enough. The variegated is actually quite okay. Yeah, Looking, it's quite yeah. pretty. And I had it in the garden for years and I've lost it somehow or another. So if anybody's got any variegated horseradish, I'd like some back. Um but, um, yeah, horseradish can be a, an absolute thug. And if you've ever made your own horseradish sauce, your eyes will be stinging for hours afterwards <laughs> uh, unless you've got ways and means of dealing with that too. Definitely one for a planting trough or big mm. pot. Yeah. The other thing, um, I wondered what you think of this. We had, um, we've still got this trouble with onion grass, which, of course, we will have. Um, but last year um, we had the compost bin, which was loaded with the soil with it in, but um, due to the fact we're away and different things, we didn't compost for a lot longer than normal. We used the council one for a time, and the compost was left a lot longer to sit, and it seems like we might have killed off the onion weed in it. So I wonder if it's about time. How long well, you could have done. Uh, if you'd gone through a growth cycle when the onion weed should have been growing, uh, yeah. it could have killed it off. And, of course, if it got hot enough inside, it may have um, may have yeah. cooked it. So it's yeah. possible. Yeah, That was my thought. So I thought maybe we need to get another compost bin so we leave each one for longer. Yeah, well, mm. that, that could be a good way of dealing with some of those weedy species. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Thanks for calling in, Sharon. All the best. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, and another caller. Good morning to Thomas in Albert Park. Good morning, Chloe. Good morning, Chloe. Good morning, Steve. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> Sounds like you're one, repeating it? yourself. <laughs> well, I can't. I can't help if there's two Chloe. Yes, it's a bit of an no, issue. No, that is out of your control. Yeah. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah. So rather than say hi, panel, which I think is a bit. Uh, it's not good enough. You should, I try and get to know people's names. Well, now, good. basically, my question is, can I grow bamboo in sandy soil in Albert Park? Uh, yes, but you would need to keep it well watered. Yeah. Um, bamboos are well, surprisingly yeah, water-hungry. That, that, 
Go on. And so, yes, so you would need to give it lots and lots of water. The one good thing about most bamboo species is that if they're thirsty and they need a drink, their leaves roll. They'll tell you. And they tell you that they need a drink. So you go out and you water them and you can virtually sit there and watch the leaves mm. open up again. It can sort of happen in about 20 minutes. Yep. Um, so, yeah, so... Keep the water up to them. I would try and get a reasonable amount of compost and organic material into the ground as well before yeah. you plant to try and hold a bit more moisture. Mm-hmm. Or even do that old Peter Cundall trick where you get some clay from somewhere, turn it into a diluted water solution and water the clay onto your um, sand. Oh, hmm. And that will help give your sandy soil a bit more body. You buy the bentonite clay, I suppose. Well, you, you could go down that, that path yeah. as well. Yeah. But Peter used to just get... A, a couple of clumps of yellow clay from somewhere yep. and then stir it around in a bucket until he, he created a slurry yep. um, and then watered the slurry onto the ground and he always swore by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could try that out. Uh, but, yes, it's certainly worth having a crack at if you if you want because bamboo is one of those evocative plants. When you see it growing in a garden, yeah. it, it sort of screams Asia. It, it has a look about it that you can't replicate with any other plant I can think of. And if you're looking for that really fast height yeah, um, and in narrow spaces as well, I'm thinking Albert Park. Yeah, yeah um, smallish yeah, gardens. Yeah, it's yeah. brilliant for Bamboo's that. Bamboo is fantastic, yeah. yeah. And yeah. the clumping. Get, the cl- get, get the one the clumping, of the clumping. Yeah, yeah yes. I de- and the thing is you need to buy your bamboo from somebody who knows about about bamboos and make sure you get the right one that grows to the right height for the particular yes. job you're wanting. I'd probably go down to Red Cloud Bamboo in Heatherton. from, yeah. Yeah, I got old yeah they'd be fine. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, but yes, you need to, to talk to somebody who's had experience with bamboo, not somebody who's just got a garden centre that bought them in from somewhere. Uh, and in fact, I've seen incorrectly labelled bamboos in garden centres occasionally. And you do wonder whether occasionally a clumping bamboo might not be a clumping bamboo. Yeah. Um, and even the clumpers, you've got to understand them because some of them actually are quite broadly clumping. Mm. So they make quite a broad clump. Others are much more restrained. And so you need to know all of that about a bamboo because before you can select the right one for the job that you're yeah. wanting to do. So you certainly don't want to just go and buy it at uh, one of the local garden centres or Bunnings or something yeah. um, without the expert advice in the background. Yep. Well, thank you. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you, Chloe. Thank you, Steve. <laughs> thank you, pleasure. Thomas. All <laughs> the best. We don't have two Emmas today. Remember yeah. That, time? yeah. That was funny. <laughs> Well, let's not have two Emmas and two Chloes in the studio all at once. Oh, we've done that. We've done that once. We've done that once. Thomas, all the best with your bamboo hunt. Let us know how it goes. Thank you for this intellectual show. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Bye. Cheers. Bye. Oh, dear. Chloe, I wonder if we should uh, talk about my cup of tea here. I just want to say the name on radio. (laughs) Oh, go on. Off you go. Clitoria. Yeah, there's some very, very descriptive names out there, isn't there? You know what? It is damn descriptive for what the flower looks like. I tell you. Whoever the taxonomist was was that named that plant obviously had no shame, but nonetheless... at least it was something that's you know was descriptive. Yes. I guess yes. I love and I love plant names that are descriptive. Yeah. Well, there's one that makes me laugh. There's a plant called Uvularia, and it's commonly known as Merry Bells, and it's a little plant that comes from the woods of North America. And the Uvularia was named after the bit of skin that hangs down the back of your throat. Your oh, uvula. I think I've heard you talk about this. Yeah, yeah. And, oh, yeah, and I think that that particular taxonomist needed to get a good night's sleep before he named that plant because I think it's so unfair. <laughs> <laughs> I can see where he was going. Yeah. But yeah, it, it, and I have to say it probably was a he. Um, I'm not being sexist there. I'm quite confident that it was probably a male taxonomist who thought to do oh, that. Uh, lack of romance in his life or something. We're, 
Where did you get it from? So it's the not- Clitoria tenata, which we're talking about, is the blue butterfly pea. And I bought the seeds. Um, I th- I've listed them on my Instagram where I bought them from. But you can get them from like localseeds.com.au, the Seed Collective. They're a pea seed or a, a legume seed. They prefer growing in the warmest climate here in Melbourne. So I sowed the seeds in um, early spring on a heat mat and I kept them inside on a heat mat until they germinated. Mm-hmm. And then I planted them outside. Now, when I shared it on Instagram, I had people up in like North Queensland and Brisbane area saying, oh, up our way it turns into a weed sometimes and I said well my three little vines are like a metre tall and they've been growing since mid-spring so definitely in Melbourne not a weedy problem (laughs) is it an annual in Melbourne is it an annual in Melbourne but yes it'll be frost it's frost sensitive okay so it'll um up further north does it grow all year round from what I understand yes um but it produces the most beautiful bright bright blue flowers which as its genus suggests have a very anatomically <laughs> I'm not sure how correctly anatomical it is, but anyhow, yes, you, you can get the sort of drift. We'll tell you that, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I needed that. <laughs> um, so, And these bright blue flowers, they can be used fresh or dried and they are a natural food colourant. So I have them steeping in a cup of oh, yes. tea at the and moment. And have now got blue tea. Vibrant blue tea. And it is a proper blue. Nurserymen yes. are very inclined to call something blue because it helps sell things yes. that are really mauve or yeah. lavender or whatever. No, this is but blue. the clitoria is really blue. Properly. It's a proper blue. It's gorgeous. Now, it is only blue, and of course I'm doing a magic trick on radio, but you'll just have to imagine. So yeah. it is bright blue, like bright blue ocean blue. Yeah. Yep. And then when you add an acid to it, so in this case lime, lime juice. Lime juice. And if I give it a bit of a stir, can you see what Oh, my gosh, it's magic. It is is magic. magic. I should have filmed that. (laughs) It's it's now gone from blue to an amazing shade of sort of pink. Pink, yeah. So it reacts to acid. Yeah. (laughs) And apparently you can now turn it back to blue if I put an alkaline in as well. But I haven't got something on hand to do that. But there you go. So it reacts to pH. It's a bit of fun. I actually tried this for the first time when I went to Thailand and they serve it as a nice warm tea. And I think they put honey in there as well, but it's delicious. Um, And then they bring out this little side with a dropper of lime and they say put the lime in and it's like a little magical experience in front kids of kids would eyes. love that oh, yeah yeah, yeah no, of boys, all ages <laughs> my boys think it's really really fun so look it's a fun plant to grow it's got beautiful flowers yeah. it's good for the soil because it's obviously it's a legume, a legume. Mm. um i've just got it growing up an archway in my veggie garden again because it's not a bully here in melbourne it's not taking over by any means, but yeah, good fun. Give it a try. That's Do some so magic. much fun. I yeah. love that. I yeah. love that. Yeah, see, see, horticulture can be very entertaining. Yes. <laughs> All right, we've got another caller on the line. Good morning to uh, Kim. Uh, we don't have your suburb. How are you, Kim? I'm very well, thanks. And it's the reservoir. I'm from. Yeah. Right. Ah. Yeah, um, I'm just ringing in. I saw something on the socials last night. And it appears that Gardening Australia is putting a blanket ban on taking dogs to any of the open gardens. And I guess I'd just like to throw a bit of discussion out around about that, being both a gardener and a responsible dog owner, um, and just get some ideas about perhaps where it's come from. Now, hold on. Um, When you're saying Gardening Australia and you're talking about open gardens, it would be the garden scheme, surely. Yeah, so 
Sorry, yeah, that was a seniors yeah. moment. Sorry about that. Yeah, it's the open garden scheme in Victoria. I've just put a, a blanket ban on no dogs whatsoever into any of their gardens. Now, I know myself, I've had two dogs, one that was fantastic in an open garden. I've now got a 16-month-old puppy, and he's only been in two open gardens uh, for obvious reasons. But to have a blanket ban means a lot of people won't be able to go. So I, think, I just sort of like some ideas and some views about where that may have come from. I think in the past they'd left it up to the garden owner's discretion. Yeah, to discretion. See, I would, I would discourage people for bringing dogs into my garden only because I've got my own. Um, yep. And things can get a little bit... Um, uh, outrageous if my dogs uh, meet some other dog that comes into the garden that's not part of their pack. Um, and corgis can be very packy. <laughs> so, um, yeah. yeah, so I would probably prefer that people didn't bring dogs into my garden, uh, but I probably wouldn't put a blanket ban on it if dogs were reasonably well behaved and people kept them on a lead and cleaned up after them oh, and all those things. One a case of one person's ruined it for everyone. Yeah, yeah possibly. And look, it. there are some seriously um, bad dog owners out there that, yeah, you know, they, they the are inclined to say, you know, love me, love my dog, uh, and they expect to be able to take their animals everywhere. Um, uh, but, you know, I get people with dogs come into my nursery, and I've now got a nursery cat. Um, now, Mildred manages the dogs quite well and less in fact the dogs bark at her um, uh, and then she runs away but you know uh, if the dog's on a lead it can't chase Mildred so that's fine um, and uh, so as long as they're on a lead I don't have a particular problem with it personally um, but it, yes it's probably one of those things that they've just tried decided to make a blanket ban because yeah. it's easier I guess Instead yeah, of course, uh, yeah, there was a lot of discussion last night on Instagram and I had a look at their website, and I couldn't find anything on the website. But I think one of the issues is there's quite a few people like me. If I'm going to an open garden outside of Melbourne on a Sunday, that's an all-day trip. Yeah, I'm not likely to say, I'm not likely to go now because if I can't take my dog and it's summer, I don't really want to leave my dog at home, particularly on a weekend. So I think they've really not thought brilliantly around this. And and I have to admit, even if it says an open, you can take your dog to an open garden. I will often or not often, I always ask the person at the gate, is it okay? Yeah, well, and, and that just is a good thing from a responsible owner's point of view. Yeah, yeah. and I, so I think I'm just a little bit disappointed that this was just sort of done out, seemingly out of nowhere. Um, and obviously, you know, they haven't told too many people about it and just put it on the Instagram. Yeah. Looks oh, like well. it. Yeah, I, yeah. Well, maybe at some stage one of the open garden people will get in touch with us and we can talk yeah, it through I, with them. I do love an open yeah. garden. Yeah. Oh, they're fantastic yeah. things. I yeah, mean, I, I couldn't yeah. couldn't agree with you more. I think uh, open gardens are just a fabulous way for people to get ideas, learn about new plants, engage with other gardeners. I mean, that's part of the fun of it. Um, so, yes, it's a very important uh, scheme within the within our state, I think. Yeah, so hopefully um, maybe, maybe you know, it might go back to being just to the owner's discretion. Um, but, you know, I guess we'll just wait and see. Yeah, we'll have a look into it, Kim, and see if we can get any more information. All right. No worries. Thank Happy you. Garden. Thanks, Kim. Bye. Okay, text message from 
uh, an unknown source, the Eltham Australian Plant Society branch has their native plant and book sale on the 22nd, coming up on the 22nd of April at the Eltham Community Centre. Uh, I'm sure we'll be mentioning that in due course yes, as well. Yes, it's a little ways off, but it's not a bad idea yeah. to consider it and put it in your diary Pop maybe. Pop it in your diary. Yes. Mm. Chloe, have you still got any more plants for no, us? No, I'm I have. out of plant, but Stephen's got some over And you've here. got some too. Oh, yeah, and some you've too. Got some and it's ones. five past nine. Yeah, all right. Always we can happens. be quick. Yeah, we can. All right. Uh, I will I will talk about uh, Lamiaceae plants. Uh, I've got two plants here in the mint family, uh, both from completely different parts of the world. Uh, the orange one comes from the Himalayas and it's in a genus called Kahunia, uh, which has a QU in it. Oh, <laughs> go on, spell it for us. Uh, C-O-L-Q-U-O-U-H-I-A. You'd, you'd think it's Colquunia or yeah. something yeah. or another, but oh, it's yeah. pronounced Colquunia. Yeah, um, yeah. It's a genus of about eight species, all from the Himalayas. They're soft-wooded shrubs, autumnal flowering, and a rich dark orange with a greyish felty leaf. Uh, my plant in the garden at home is probably nearly three metres tall. Ooh, so it's quite a large shrub. Lovely. You can prune it off at the socks and start it off again. So you're like a salvia. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, they're in a the sort of salvia-ish sort yeah. of group. The other one I bought along, and you've got to smell the leaves on that. I was <laughs> watching you rub them. Can you pass oh. me a leaf, please? Oh, there Wow. Have a smell of that. Oh, it's soft. Yeah, and it smells delicious. Um, it's eucalyptusy almost. Yeah, it's a plant called Lepicinia, and the Lepicinia is also a comparatively small genus. I think there's about 40 of them, okay. uh, and it comes from the Americas, mainly Mexico and southern United States. Uh, this one has become weedy in Hawaii, apparently, mm-hmm. um, and this one is Lepicinia hastata. And, again, it's sort of a... a an evergreen perennial or soft-wooded shrub. Um, it's a little hard to categorise it. Grows up to about a metre and a half. Gets these fabulous sprays of pinky-purple um, uh, flowers on it in the autumn, and it can often be flowering well into winter if it doesn't get too cold. And the leaves can get up to, well, in the old measurements, over six inches long and quite uh, spearhead-shaped. And it really is one of those plants you need to plant near the edge of a path so that every time you brush past yeah. it, you get this whiff of its foliage. Um, and it's got that essential oil. Yeah, no, and um, I'm sure it probably has it. some sort of potential usage. Mm. I don't know. I've never been able to find out whether it's ever been used for anything, mm. but I'd be really surprised if it hasn't been. Um, so both the pictures of those are up on our social media. I know Liz has put up those as, uh, nice. uh, for me yesterday. And finally, I just wanted to mention amaranthus, love lies bleeding. <laughs> Is that its common name? Yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. I, I it's, it's sort of a slightly naff but rather lovely. Lovely common name. Yeah. Uh, and amaranthus is an ancient Peruvian seed grain, basically. Mm, yeah. And, you yes. know, they used it for. Um, you know, making breads and all sorts of stuff. Um, it self-seeds itself in my garden. Anywhere I've dug the ground that the seed lies on, so disturbed ground, up it comes. There's a whole bed in the vegetable garden that's full of it at the moment and it's looking fabulous. It all came up of its own accord. And we eat it. You can see where I've been plucking the leaves off on this say, stem. the leaves are edible too. Yeah, yeah. and oh. I find them a little bland. So what I normally do is I sweat down an onion and a little bit of garlic mm-hmm. um, and then 
pop the leaves in and let them sort of uh, wilt down into it uh, and use it as a spinach alternative or something like that. Uh, and so I get free greens from yeah. this thing all the time. Mm. And it just comes back every year. Uh, sometimes it's a nuisance. I'll have just put in a, a batch of seedlings of something in the vegetable garden in the spring and suddenly all the amaranthus will come up <laughs> through it. And so I've either got to then decide whether I'm going to let the amaranthus have its head or whether I've got to weed it out so that the, whatever vegetable yeah. I've put in has its way. Yeah. But I try and keep a bed where I let the amaranthus do its thing because mm. we get a, a hell of a lot of leafy greens out of it. Yeah, yeah. nice. Um, and it's a lovely cut flower. Yes. So it, it's really good as a cut flower. Yeah. I wouldn't be bothered trying to collect the grain. It's really small and all oh, sounds too hard. Fiddly. Buy that from your bulk whole foods. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, that's the way I'd go with amaranthus seed. But certainly the leaves are well worth growing. And if it's really lush and happy, it can easily grow up to a couple of metres tall. Yeah. So you can end up with quite a big, bulky plant. And there's lots of different forms of it out. This 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 one's just the common one, amaranthus cordata. But there's selections of it with long green flower heads and all sorts mm. of fabulous leafy Coloured leafy forms. Nice. Yeah. And I think the amaranthus are great. There you go. I've done all mine. You've done. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> Thank you. And we've still got five minutes if you want to talk about your leatherwoods. I, I do want to waffle on about them. Yeah. Um, just a, another text message has come through. The day two of the Cranbourne Friends plant sale is on today. So <sighs> if you want to go down to Cranbourne Botanic Gardens, you can buy some plants while you're at it. Good. Mm. And they always have interesting plants at a very good price. Yes, they do. Uh, I brought in two different species of Eucryphia or Eucryphia, however you want to say oh, it. I've always said Eucryphia, but I'd never actually thought about whether I'd pronounce it in some other way, so <laughs> it, it could be. Um, I love the flowers on these mm. so much. Mm. So one of them is indigenous or sort of endemic to Tasmania, yeah. Eucryphia morii. Mm. Both of them are, actually. No. No, they're not. No, morii notes? is the New South Wales one. Thank you. And the other one you've got there I think is Milliganii. Milliganii is Which is, Tassie. Uh, is the dwarf mountain one from Tasmania. Thank you. Yeah. That's why I brought them in it's because one of those, you're going to be in. Yeah, it's one of those genera that or genuses uh, that I have a soft spot for, so I've spent quite a bit of time trying to collect them. And it's weird because... Up until about, I don't know, three or four decades ago, we had basically three Australian species. We had Morii, Lucida and Milliganii uh, and and South America had two. So yeah. they have Glutinosa and Cordifolia. Um, and we found two more in Australia in recent decades. Right. Up north. So they're really popular in cultivation in England, yeah. I believe. Oh, yeah, because they produce hybrids the and all that stuff. So I've bought them. I've got in my backyard, I've got this sort of narrow garden bed along mm. a north-facing um, on the south side of a north-facing fence. Yeah. And there's a brick wall not just you know, a couple of metres from it. So it's a pretty protected spot. Yeah. And I think all I'll need to do is just make sure I keep the water up to yeah, them in Yeah, you'll summer. need to keep the water up Because I love the flowers mm. of these plants Next so much. Next time you're down in, in uh, Cranbourne, yeah. when you're in the Botanic Gardens there, go down to the Gondwana area. Yeah. Now, they've planted a whole drift of one of the newer species, yes. uh, Wilkii, yes. down there. Uh, and I've got a young Wilkii doing very well at Mount Macedon. Yeah. And the only one I haven't been able to source yet is our other Australian one that was named in recent times, which is called Jinxie eye. Um, I don't know if anybody's growing it commercially, yeah. but it's certainly a plant I'd love to grab at some point or another because the Eucryphias do really well up our way. They would. You know, they yeah, love they the would. cooler conditions yeah. of the mountains. So I'm really interested to see how they'll go mm. in my garden yeah. in suburban Melbourne. Yeah. Well, I know people who've grown them. Yeah, I, I think – and. 
I will have to, particularly the Mori, I will have to keep it pruned. But yeah, because it will okay. grow quite bulky. Yeah, and mm. it's already probably put on a couple of inches of growth, and I've had it sitting in the pot for two weeks. Yeah, because I need to clear out the bed first. But <laughs> I've started I love plants, when people whatever. buy things before they're ready. Well, I know what I want to go there. I just need to do the work. Yeah, oh dear. Um, the flowers on these plants are just. Stunning. Yeah. Now they're in their own family. Yeah, aren't I think they, they are in Eucryphiaceae, yeah. I think. Um, I think they're still in their own family yeah, too. It's, uh, and it is so it's, it's a, very a tiny genus and a, and a really interesting group. Yeah. So, uh, and they certainly are Gondwana plants. Well, I mean, to have that. South American connection, yeah. just mm. Australia and South America. Yeah, it's odd, isn't it? It's amazing. Yeah, and of course in England they've bred some of our native ones from here with the South American oh, ones. Okay. So there are some hybrids over there that are crosses between the two continents, which are really interesting. Yeah, uh, might get up the nose of a few native purists. Yeah, <laughs> but lovely plants. Lovely plants, and and um, I think one of us made a comment before is that. A lot of the Australian flora is known for its bluey, greeny, grey foliage. Yeah. These are dark green foliage. Yeah. The Eucryphia um, milliganii has very small sort of oval pointed foliage. Almost like a box bush. It is like a box. Yeah. Whereas the Morii species has this horizontal compound Yes, yeah, sort of pinnate foliage, which is really yeah. quite different. And they it's interesting because the South American ones do the same thing. The The only deciduous one is glutinosa and it has the leaves like Morii. Yeah, right. And... Cordifolia has big dark green leaves and flowers that are like a small Sasanqua camellia. They're big, big. Um, all right. Yes, they are. Sorry, I'm just reading a couple of text messages coming through. Um, oh, thank you, Susie. Another great show. Well done, everyone. <laughs> um, what is the plant Chloe loves the flowers of? I'm talking about Eucryphia, yeah. two species I've brought in. So E-U-C-R-Y-P-H-I-A, and they're the leatherwoods. Yeah. So leatherwood, yeah, leatherwood honey, honey comes yeah. from Eucryphia lucida. Lucida, yeah. The uh, and I've got two of the other species. Um, we are running out of time. We are. The other species I brought in is a Lamacia. So it's like a Grevillea for shady, moist spots. Yeah. So I'm going to put it in the same spot again. It's just something I'll have to keep the water up to in yeah. summer. Beautiful big cream flowers on you it. You need I to love plant them. a Tilopia um, truncata with them as well. Yes. The Tasmanian waratah. Oh, that would be really cool. Oh, and get the yellow one. <laughs> uh, Stephen, I didn't even get to talk to you on air about all the plants that I want to put in the garden and all the weird South American stuff that I want to plant near these yeah. two. We have literally run out of time. Oh, yeah. oh well. We'll have to do it next time, but I'm yep. coming up to the nursery in the all school right. holidays. <laughs> Um, thank you to Chloe Thompson and Stephen Ryan for entertaining me this morning and everyone else that's been listening in. Thank you to Jacob for doing the phones and keeping us in line. Uh, Liz and Karina who do the socials and the podcast. Enjoy Mifkus this week. Will do. Chloe, good luck. <laughs> Thanks. Um, have a lovely Sunday, everyone, and we'll be back next Sunday at 7.30. See you later. Bye all. Bye. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 